0: First time I remember stealing, I think I was about five or so, It was with my mom, we were at a gas station on Main Street in Weatherford, Texas, and at the counter there were these incredible looking donuts. They weren't in a box, they weren't behind a glass, they were just right there on a dish. And so I did what any sensible young man would do. And I took one. My thievery was discovered before we got back even to the car. My mom marched me directly back into the store. And frankly, I don't remember the rest. Maybe PTSD. I don't know. Um, When's the first time you remember stealing? What item did you take a five-finger discount on? We've all done it. Our parents have all scolded us for it. And looking back, we kind of shake our heads at how silly we were, my question is, is that how the Eighth Commandment lands on you this morning? So when you read, you shall not steal, is the application a remembrance of foolish, childish actions? Today I hope to show you the broad sweep of this command. Today I hope to show you how it speaks not just to foolish actions we might have taken in the past, but sinful inclinations. Every single one of you are susceptible to all of your lives. I want you to see in this command, like all the others, just how much is intended by God. So let's jump in. If you're new with us, uh, we're studying the 10 commandments and today we're on the 8th of 10. Exodus 20:15 says, "You shall not steal." I have five questions for you today. If you want to open up your bulletin, you can kind of see where we are going. This is a sermon outline, five questions. Number 1, what is stealing? Number 2, why do we steal? Number 3, why is stealing wrong? For what has God done? And then finally, how are we to live? So let's start with a question. What is stealing? Stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you or withholding what you're obligated to give. It's both. So you probably think about it as taking what doesn't belong to you, but it's both. It is taking the donut that didn't belong to me but it is also withholding something you're obligated to give. If you don't pay your taxes, you're stealing from the government. Examples of Old Testament stealing. Moving the ancient boundary. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight 28 says, Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. In Israel, landmarks marked out property lines. So just a little history lesson. Remember, God brought Israel into the land of Canaan, And he gave every Israelite family an inheritance of land, a homestead, okay? By the way, you ever read Psalm 16? You ever read Psalm 16 and it says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You ever read that and think, what in the world does that mean? It's a reference to the land God gives each family in Canaan. The lines that have fallen in pleasant places are the boundary lines of their homestead, their inheritance, and each family's property line was marked out by a landmark, kind of like the old New England stone fence, okay? Well, if you move that ancient landmark, you've just stolen some of your neighbor's land because you've moved the property line, which then gives you more and them less. That's stealing. So, that's one. Number two... Inaccurate measurements is stealing. Throughout the Proverbs, maybe you read statements like this. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Ethical Business 101 at Redeeming Grace Church. Okay, (laughs) Business was transacted based on weights and measurements. The weight of yea so many coins translates into yea so much value. So a false balance... Rigging the scale cheats somebody. You thought your coins were worth this much, this much, you know, and it and it turns out the scale says it's only worth this much. That's stealing from a buyer. In my preparation this week, I came across this article that talked about a, a Norman Rockwell-esque painting in this issue of uh, the Saturday Night or the Saturday Evening Post, and it was a it was a butcher. And it was a woman, a well-dressed woman, standing across the counter with, with meat on a scale, and they were both smiling as though they both had gotten this wonderful deal. And if you looked at the picture closely, the butcher was pressing one finger down on the scale, making it seem as though the meat was... More heavy and thus costing more. And if you looked at the picture closely, you saw that the woman was subtly pressing up on the scale, making the meat less. So I guess this isn't just a problem in ancient Israel. Okay. Next example: stealing people. Exodus twenty-one sixteen. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Boy, the principle embedded here would take care of our historical sin of chattel slavery, wouldn't it? Stealing property. Exodus 22.1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep, kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for one ox and four sheep for a sheep. So you got not only stealing here, but restitution addressed here. By the way, I had a friend in college who grew up in small town, Texas, smaller town than my small town, Texas, and one time he, for fun, let out a whole herd of sheep just for fun, and they were never found. He came to Christ, and years later after college, he went to that farmer, and he estimated how many sheep ran off, and he paid him for what he estimated was each sheep times the value of four. That's restitution. He he thought he was duty bound to make sure that he paid back what he had taken. On and on we could go. Uh, But I don't want to leave the Old Testament. I don't want to leave the Old Testament context before dealing with one more. Stealing from God. Malachi 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say to me, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of me. Now what kind of theft is this? It's that second kind of theft that I talked about. Israel isn't giving God his due, the tithe. They were to give God a tenth of all that they owned. They are withholding that from him. And that, friends, is theft. It's stealing. Now, let me also say this God doesn't command a tithe because he needs it. This is like on the scale of things that are important for you to know, this is uber, uber important. God doesn't command the tithe because He needs it. God needs nothing. God commands the tithe as a right and good expression of worship because He has graciously given Israel everything she has. Freedom from slavery, God's gift. Their inheritance, Canaan, God's gift. Canaan producing everything they need for life and health, God's gift. The tithe is a way for Israel to recognize and worship God for this. Oh, Lord, everything I have comes from you and everything I have ultimately belongs to you. And this tithe is just a token of that. Well, that's a flavor of ways that Israel was tempted to steal. How about we get uncomfortable and think about us? What are ways that we're tempted to steal? We're tempted to steal in all sorts of ways. I think about simple and small acts of theft. Stealing a pen. Not pens that are designed to be given away, but truly you steal a pen because you like it. You see it, you steal it. Think about stealing from employers. Stealing time. On your timesheet, do you ever say you were there when you weren't? Or if you have a working arrangement from home, which everybody does, do you pretend to be working but you're not? Stealing productivity. You spend time on social media or on a news site or browsing the web when you should be working. You're stealing productivity. Stealing supplies. Maybe you just take a five finger discount on a stapler, a printer, or whatever else the boss won't notice. You can steal from your employer. I think about stealing from the government via taxes. By the way, God commands us to pay taxes to the government. Did you know that? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus says. Paul says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. I just say this, lest any of you begin to think the taxes are actually theft from you and you attempt to justify not paying them, God would have you pay them and pay the full amount. So do you ever lie to decrease the tax you'll owe? Do you ever not report income that should have been reported? Do you ever, or have you ever, lowered the value of something on paper to evade what you'd have to pay if the true value were reported? That's all stealing. It's an effort to not pay what you should pay. I think about stealing from hotels. You ever thought about why the lamps are bolted down in hotel rooms? (laughs) Friends, it is not a secret. It is because people take them. (laughs) You ever stolen towels? You ever stolen one of those fantastical robes that are in nice hotels, right? Is your hair dryer toast? Take the hotels. Do you need new sheets? Voila! (laughs) I read something this week. It said if an entity is big, or we think it can handle it, or it doesn't know us, it's actually impersonal, we are actually more likely to steal from that entity. I think that is so messed up, but it makes sense. You're not going to steal sheets from grandma, unless you're a real piece of work.
1: (laughs) Because grandma knows
0: you, and grandma's going to notice, but the hotel, you're going to be miles away before they but the government, it's so big, they may never find out. And they can handle it. It's interesting how we excuse ourselves. I think about underhanded business practices. Overcharging for goods or services just because you can. Underpaying employees just because you can. Charging exorbitant interest just because you can. I think about insurance fraud. Did the storm really damage your roof or did you go up onto your roof after the storm and make it look like it did? Listen, we could keep going because man's creativity to find ways to steal is boundless. But just like Israel, I don't want us to pause here or I want us to pause here and think about stealing from God. How are you tempted to steal from God? Well, the low-hanging fruit is the same as Israel's. Withholding your giving. You don't give. And I say giving, not tithing, because we're not under the Mosaic command to tithe, to give a tenth. But lest you think that frees you up to give less, please be clear that the call to generous and sacrificial giving throughout the New Testament shouts that we should give at least a tithe. You don't see believers in the New Testament saying, whew! I am glad we do not have to tithe. You see believers giving generously and sacrificially, even out of their poverty. But some of you may withhold this from God. You withhold it. I wonder if you ever thought about that as stealing. But there is more. Because the reality is when you're not living your life for the glory of God, you're stealing from God. You belong to God. You belong to God. And when you don't give Him what He is due, your love, your time, your energy, your effort... Your worship. Essentially what I mean is that when you don't view your whole life, the really big things, the really small things, as all belonging to Him, you live like you are your own, you're stealing from God. Is anybody getting uncomfortable? I was, as I prepared this, We'll come back to ideas introduced here, but let's just go on to question number two. Why do we steal? Why do we steal? We steal because we think we'll be the better for it, and we steal because we think we can get something for nothing. And that's exactly what our first parents did. The devil who came to steal and kill and destroy lied to them and told them they could take what didn't belong to them. On the surface of it, it's blatant stealing. God gave them everything. Life. Each other. Blessings untold in the bounty of the garden. He withheld one thing. The fruit fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may not have that. And so they took it. But it's actually even worse than that because what they really wanted and what the devil peddled was to rob God of his due. Was to rob God of his due. Their obedience to him. They wanted to make up their own rules. They wanted to not give God His due. They wanted to not give God their lives. They wanted to throw off His law and be their own God. And we'll be the better for it, they thought. Something for nothing, they thought. But there is never something for nothing. The first and ancient theft brought into the world, sin, death, misery, destruction. Stealing always has a cost. So why do we steal? Most fundamentally because we believe like they believed. Something for nothing. There are other reasons why we steal, though. We steal because we don't believe that what we have from God is enough. We steal because we don't believe God will really take care of us, and so we take matters into our own hands. We steal because we love money and stuff more than we love God. We steal because we've lost sight of where true treasure really lies. Remember that text in 1 Peter? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, Unfaded, kept in heaven for you. That's where your true treasure lies. But the trouble is, as one commentator I read this week said, heaven is so annoyingly invisible. Right? Heaven is so annoyingly invisible and so we turn to what we can see. We lose sight of our true treasure. And let me also say, we... We steal because of a really, really troubling disconnect between our theology, what we believe, and our practice, what we do. God sees everything. This is Theology 101. God sees everything. Your actions, your intentions, every single thing you do and think. Hebrews says, no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Friends, that should keep us from stealing. Would you steal if your boss could literally see you? Well, no! Then why do you steal when God sees everything you do? There is a disconnect. You think somehow you can escape His gaze. You can't escape His gaze. Or maybe you think He just doesn't care. But He does. Well, why is stealing so wrong? You know, with, with all these, we really have to ask that question. Why, with all these commandments, why is murder wrong? It's just wrong. We need to think deeper than that. Why is stealing wrong? It's just wrong. We need to think deeper than that. Why is it wrong? Here's why it matters. Because ultimately, any and every act of theft is stealing from God. Think about this. God is the owner of everything. We are only stewards And thus, when you steal, you're ultimately sinning against God. How am I stealing when I steal from the government? Or rather, maybe you're saying, how am I stealing from God when I'm stealing from the government via not paying the taxes I should pay? Good question. Because God is over the government, He has entrusted the government with His resources. Whether or not the government recognizes that or not is immaterial. And so, stealing from the government still goes back to stealing against Him. It's the same with hotels. It's the same with individuals. It's the same with everything, and it's kind of like this: when David and Bathsheba's, when David had Bathsheba's husband killed to cover up his adultery, and the fact that the baby in her womb was not her husband's but David's. Do you remember what he said in his prayer of confession in Psalm fifty-one? Do you remember what he said? He said, "Against you, God." Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now we read that and we're like, I think kind of, I think David sinned against a few other people in addition to just God. And that's true. But it's also true that David sees this rightly. This is ultimately and most heinously. A sin against God Almighty. And the same is true for stealing. When you take what God hasn't given or when you withhold what He would have you give, you're sinning not primarily in this realm. You're sinning most primarily and most heinously against God Himself. That's a big deal. And it's wrong because what God has done. And this actually takes us to the fourth question what has god done so i want you to write this down take a pen and write it down really simple god is a giver can you can you write that down god is a giver god is not the thief who takes what doesn't belong to him God is the giver who gives and gives and gives and gives more than anyone, anywhere, ever. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a more generous giver than God. He is the giver of life. He is the giver of all of our basic needs. He is the giver of health. And think about this for a second. Very few people, their whole lives considered, will spend more of their life sick than they do well. Even in this sin-cursed world, where there is cancer and ALS and all matter of disease, and people are rebelling against God and doing whatever they want and giving Him no credit for anything, even in that world, isn't it incredible just how relatively healthy most of us are? This is His gift. Your vitality is a gift from Him. He's the giver of everything we love. Music, food, friends, family, rest, recreation, sex. These are all from God. It is shocking and really discouraging that a common view of the God of the Bible is that He's a dull, stiff, joy-killing rulemaker. That is a lie from the devil who came to steal you. He he wants you to think that about God so that you don't give yourself to God and instead you remain under his sway. Students, high schoolers in particular, are you believing that lie right now? Are you not a Christian because you think God's a taker? He's going to take your joy. He's going to take your fun. He's going to take your freedom. You are caught in nothing but a fantastic lie. Jesus says the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God is a giver. And God's greatest gift is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Not only has God given every one of you in this room everything you are and everything you have, He has given His Son for you so that you can be forgiven of your thievery. From the smallest stolen donut to the reality that you've stolen from God all of your life and not giving Him your worship and your love, that He is due. He has given His Son so you can be forgiven. Isn't it fitting that on the cross as He took the punishment for thieves like us upon Himself, He said to a repentant thief beside Him, today you will be with Me In paradise. That's beautiful. Let's just ask a question. I I just want you to think about this. Let's say you've got somebody in your life that steals something from you every day. Every day this person steals from you. You're like I got. I got a varmint in my garden that steals, you know, tomatoes every day. I don't know what it, whatever it is. Let's say you got somebody that steals something from you every day. Every day this person steals from you. Are you going to give your most treasured possession for the well-being of that thief? No, because you and I are not as generous, kind as God. He is the ultimate. And He has given His Son for sinners like us. This actually takes us to our last question. How are we to live? It takes us there because according to the Bible, God's generosity in Jesus is the basis for our obligation. Not simply not to steal. It's the basis for our obligation that we are now under to be generous givers. His ultimate gift, Jesus, is the model for our generosity. Second Corinthians eight and nine is an exhortation to the Corinthian church to give generously. I, I tell you, read through it this afternoon and think about how God would have you to respond. I'm just going to read a section of it just to whet your appetite. Just, just listen, it's from 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the churches of Macedonia have done something awesome, and Paul wants the Corinthians to know. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So they got two things going on. An abundance of joy in Christ and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave financially, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor and taking part of the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly we urged Titus that as he had started he should complete among you this act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness see that you excel in this act of grace also for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich Here's the deal There was a famine in Jerusalem, and Paul was rounding up money to send to the church there. The churches in Macedonia, although poor, gave beyond their means. Paul says, I want you to give generously also. Excel in this grace. And then he grounds it in this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. God's generosity in Jesus Christ is the model for our generosity. Do you see that? So honestly, our response to this word this morning, to not steal, shouldn't just be to not steal. Although I would tell you, good, you know, thumbs up. Okay, good start. Paul says in Ephesians 4.28, Let the thief no longer steal. Okay, good. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Jesus says a similar thing. Luke 12. Fear not little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's God's generosity again. How should you respond? Sell your possessions. And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with treasure in the heavens that don't fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. (coughs) What we see is generosity. Followers of Jesus should live lives of generosity. Not hoarding, not storing, certainly not stealing but giving. We should be givers. And we should think about giving very broadly. Giving not just in terms of our money. Yes, of course our money. But giving of our, of our time and our energy and our abilities. So here's the question. Here's the question you should be asking yourself. Am I a generous giver? Am I a generous giver? Am I generous with my time? Do I view my time as mine to be spent as I see fit? Or do I view my time as God's to be given to His gospel and His church? Am I generous with my money? Do I view my money as as mine to be spent as I see fit? Or do I view my money as God's? is is god pleased with my financial giving is it generous is it sacrificial am i generous with my energy and with my effort what what energizes and excites me what what is god doing in the lives of people that i want to be a part of i, I want to invest In that, with my energy and my effort, are you generous in that way? So in Christ, there is a reorientation away from being a taker into being a giver. In Christ, there's a reorientation away from being a taker into being a giver. And please hear me, brothers and sisters. This is not a one-time thing. This is a lifelong Reorientation. Sometimes painfully so. <laughs> because the world says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Right? And that's the water we're swimming in. So we got to fight that with the gospel. And so, brother and sister, just, just as you reorient, let me just give you a few thoughts to help you. The Gospel says, Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. God is going to reward your generosity. And He is not just going to reward your generosity in heaven. He does not withhold generous blessing only until glory. He is going to pour it out here On those who pour themselves out for Him. Think about this. What good do you do for yourself when you're generous? What good do you do for yourself when you're generous? Number one, you move your heart towards heaven. Some of you are confused right now as to why you aren't as excited about heavenly things, why you aren't excited about church. Some of you may even wonder if you, if you aren't a Christian. Can I suggest to you, it may have a lot to do with where you invest yourself. Are you investing your money, your energy, your efforts, your time into the things of God? You, you want to be excited about heavenly things? Begin investing in heavenly things and you will move your heart towards heavenly things. Okay? So number one, you move your heart towards heaven when you're generous. Number two, when you're generous, you store up treasures in heaven. I think sometimes we miss this. But God really does have an investment strategy. Just like investing a dollar into a responsible retirement vehicle is going to yield way more than a dollar years down the road, every bit of yourself, brother and sister every bit of yourself that you invest in the things of the gospel now is going to yield a mind-blowing reward in heaven. It is. Number three, when you are generous, you fight the ever-present battle of stuff owning you. The enemy of your souls wants, you, wants to own the real estate of your soul, And one of the main ways he does that is through training your attention on everything shiny and new. Okay? When you are generous, though, you fight that impulse and it helps free you from his clutches. When you are generous, you also honor God and further his gospel. Number four, when you're generous, you honor God and further his gospel. Think about the Macedonians. Giving abundantly out of extreme poverty. What a testimony to God's generosity, which leads to our generosity. Number five. When you are generous, you obey God. I like Romans 13.8. Owe no man anything except to love one another. We are duty bound to love each other. We're duty-bound to love each other. What's stealing? Taking what doesn't belong to you or withholding what you are duty-bound to give. We are actually duty-bound to love one another. Redeeming grace, that means if you're withholding your love to your brothers and sisters in this room, you're stealing. Love to one another. Devotion to one another. This isn't just a good idea. This isn't just a swell thing. This is a commandment of God. And so when we are generous in loving one another, we obey God. Believer, God has given His very best for you. And we in turn should give ourselves to Him. Now let me just say a word to any here who are not in Christ. Here's how I want you to think about generosity. The typical Vermonter would give the shirt off of his back and would break his back getting a neighbor's truck that's stuck out of the mud. But also, a typical Vermonter would never want to ask somebody for help. Why is that? It's because Vermonters are self-sufficient people. Vermonters are not a needy people. Vermonters are a put-together, hard-working, don't need help type of people. But friend, this does not serve you well spiritually. Friend, this morning you need to know when it comes to what you offer to God, you actually don't have anything to offer Him. Your self-sufficiency... Your hard work to provide for your family and others. Your generosity to those in need. These things are good things in and of themselves. But friends, these things do not do anything for you in the eyes of heaven. Your righteousness, your morality, these things are done in the eyes of God. And so if you want to be a recipient of God's generosity, what you actually have to do first is you have to know you actually don't have anything to offer Him. You have to humble yourselves for the presence of the Lord and know that you come as a weak and needy beggar. And when you come as a a weak and needy beggar and when you ask for His grace, He will pour out upon you His generosity in ways that you cannot fathom. So my encouragement to you is if you don't know Christ this morning, do not respond By thinking, well, I need to give more, I need to do this, I'm going to write a check this morning before I leave, I'm going to put it back there, I'm going to make sure that when the fall comes, I'm going to get my neighbor's food. Don't do any of that. Instead, recognize that you have nothing that you can give to the God of heaven. He needs nothing. But He is the most generous God you could ever imagine and He offers you life. If you will humble yourself and recognize you come as a needy beggar, come to Him. Come to Him and receive His forgiveness and His grace. Trust in the promise of the gospel and receive forgiveness in life. That's my encouragement to you. We serve a generous God who is happy to say, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your generosity which shapes and informs ours. Would You give us grace, God, to continue to be changed from takers into givers. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.